the podcast for women in film and television. Welcome to the WIFT Austin podcast. I am Chantelle James, and today we will be chatting with Texas-based casting director Beth Sepko Lindsay. Beth is the woman behind Beth Sepko Casting and Third Coast Extras. She has worked as a casting director for over 20 years, specializing in the casting of television series and feature films, working with directors such as Robert Rodriguez, Richard Linklater, and Mike Judge. She is a six-time Emmy nominee and was awarded the Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Casting of a Drama Series for the television series Friday Night Lights. She is an active member of the Casting Society of America, a former board member of Austin Film Society and Real Women, as well as a current participant on the advisory board for South by Southwest. TV series that she has worked on include HBO's The Leftovers, From Dust Till Dawn the Series, Queen of the South, Friday Night Lights, and Dallas. Movie projects include Boyhood, Bernie, and the Spy Kids movies. Hello, Beth. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yes, you certainly had a wonderful career in casting. I'm excited to share your experience with our audience. How did you get started in casting? Well, I was uh, a talent agent for a number of years first, and uh, it got to a point where I needed to either, you know, I was working for another uh, owner of an talent agency, and I either needed to like become an owner or open my own shop or move on into casting and casting seemed like a natural step. You know, normally I would receive a breakdown on project and try to figure out how to cast it within my talent that I represented and submitted those people to the casting director. And so as a casting director, I kind of do the same thing, but am able to pull from every talent agency. It's very fun and give people jobs. <laughs> Absolutely. That is definitely the most rewarding part. Yeah. We'll pursue their dreams and, uh, and, you know, hopefully make a living. Yeah. Super fun. Uh, I imagine that it's really fun uh, to see projects that you've cast come to life on screen. What has been the most surprising project with, that you've worked on in casting and, and watched the production and thought, wow, I, I really didn't see that at all. Uh, it's funny. I think, I mean, I've been doing it for a long time. I started out in extras casting and then went into principal casting and I did extras casting and some additional casting on the film Rushmore, which was one of early Wes Anderson works. And, uh, and that one was very, you know, it was such an interesting project and we really didn't outside of Bottle Rocket didn't really know who Wes Anderson was yet and, uh, or his style of filmmaking. And so while we were making it, um, I, you know, you got a little glimpse of who he was, but uh, once the film came out, it was very different than I expected. And uh, and I had to really watch it twice to go, oh my, and really appreciate it. And of course I love it. But uh, that one was the only one that really surprised me. I mean, I've been so uh, fortunate to be a part of so many projects. Boyhood obviously was one that we just had no idea what it was gonna be like because we shot it in really kind of 10 minutes each year for, you know, 10, 12 years. So. Uh, that one was one that once I saw it, you know, it was great to actually go back and go, oh, I forgot we cast so-and-so because it was so <laughs> long and, um, you know, and it was such a, a process along the way. We didn't have a full script in the beginning and uh, Rick was writing it over the years. And so, you know, he would call me and say, hey, we're going to do a segment and we need a teacher or a possible love interest or a friend. And we would then cast that section. And then I didn't necessarily know if those characters would be back or if we were never going to see them again. So that one was obviously a big accomplishment and also a surprise also when it came out. 
Yeah, what a special project to be a part of, like just and and the not knowing too, and the the level of trust that you know is given to the story to like what is it going to be, right? Yeah. And of course, you know it's easy to trust uh, Rick. So. Yes, absolutely. I know we yeah. <laughs> have. I guess uh, your job in casting must have changed significantly since the pandemic. I know a lot of casting was already done by self tape, but I imagine it's all pretty much just self-tape now does that make your job easier or harder or how does that work it's been interesting it's funny texas actors for years knew uh it was kind of a running thing beth sepko doesn't accept self-tapes like i never it just wasn't my practice for a really long time and partly because there were so many strong actors in texas if i opened it up to other tapes then i was pulling you know, people from Florida or from places, this was kind of before there was a lot going on in Georgia or Louisiana or nearby states. And so um, I really liked doing in person and, and in the series that I was casting, there was always live sessions with the director. And so they wanted to meet the people in person. And so it was really hard once upon a time to push someone based on a self tape. But over the years, I did start to accept self-tapes, especially if it was an actor that I knew that had moved to Louisiana or to Atlanta or somewhere for a bigger market. And then I could bring them back and have them send in a self-tape. But obviously, everything has moved to self-tapes or Zoom sessions. And it's been interesting as people, the actors have adjusted really well and uh, everyone's working on their Wi-Fi connections and their backdrops, which my backdrop is not one you should use, but, um, <laughs> you know, I've been able to read or audition a lot more people than I normally would because I can get all of these tapes, you know, before I would ask someone to attend a casting session and if it was a director session that was on one particular day from, you know, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. on a Tuesday or whatever it was, if people weren't available in that small time frame, they weren't able to audition. And sometimes some of those could have been the best possibilities for the role. Uh, so now that I just give a deadline of when I need the tapes and people usually have you know a day or a couple of days to get their tapes in, then I can see a lot of people. And uh, it's also helped me to uh, find new talent that way where normally I only have time to audition maybe you know 10 or 20 people for a role with a director. I can, uh, I can see a ridiculous number. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting for actors, right? Yes. Absolutely. So since you're not guiding actors in the room, um, what are some of the traps you're seeing uh, actors fall into with their self-tapes? And do you have any advice on what makes a good self-tape? Yes. I mean, I... I have learned that I have to give very specific directions as to what I want in the tape and including like, don't give me a slate, don't give me a blank black card at the beginning or text on a card um, or a title card, you know, just send me your audition clip. And if you're gonna do more than one take, you know, send them in two separate clips or marry the clips together. I've had to get very detailed in the instructions that I give. And uh, and I've learned how to do that and, and get back what I was hoping to get. And I, I do still want people to have the ability to send me more than one take, because especially if an actor is only getting a couple of pages out of a script and they're not privy to the whole script, then they may not be you know, sure what tone we're going for or not sure how comedic something should be or not or dramatic. And uh, so I do welcome uh, actors sending more than one take and giving me a couple of different ways to see it which normally I would direct them in the room to do that. But, you know, now I can say, just go ahead and send it to me. 
Yeah, that's right. Because like as an actor, you just, you do the one take and that's the only thing that you're ever going to be seen doing. So you want to be like, well, I also have this take on it as well. And this is a different spin. And I think that's what makes you stand out too as an actor. Absolutely. Yeah. What, so what are some of the trends that you're currently seeing in the industry? It's interesting. I just, because we're doing so much over Zoom, I'm able to do more for different projects. Before, if I was really in the middle of a series and I didn't have time to do a commercial, it was kind of a bummer because I would lose these commercial clients and, uh, and you want to stay busy, especially since I am based here in Texas, I do want to do as much in my community as possible. So to be able to do like an independent film with an up and coming filmmaker, and then maybe do commercial with a big production house and then also do whatever series are in the area um, is exciting. So I just recently did a commercial that, uh, that really wanted to appeal to market, really wanted to see like gender fluid actors and then also actors with either physical or developmental disabilities and so I was able to open up the casting to see so many new people and to really see an actor's interpretation of gender fluid and I just met all of these cool young actors that I can't wait to find more projects for. Oh that's so fun I love that. Um, What would you say makes Austin a unique landscape for actors? Hmm Anything that I do, I'm including, I live in Austin, but I always include Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, you know, all of our surrounding areas. Sometimes also actors from Oklahoma, they have a strong acting pool there as well. So I, I am fortunate that, you know, it's like two and a half hours to Houston, like three hours to Dallas, you know, everything is close. So I kind of consider all of the actors, you know, my talent pool. So Austin obviously has something of a more bohemian sort of hippie live music, you know, vibe to it. And, uh, and Dallas seems a little bit more cosmopolitan. And, but Dallas has had a market there longer in this industry. And so, uh, and obviously a fashion industry there for so long that um, some of the people there have been in the business longer, maybe. And so there's a good training there as well. And, uh, and you know, we have some great uh, programs in the universities and then outside of universities and schools and performing arts schools. So uh, we have a really great landscape of all kinds of different people. And uh, I know people think of Texas as, you know, cowboys and, <laughs> and <laughs> Willie Nelson and, uh, and it's so much more. We have so many diverse actors. Yeah, that's true. It is that though. <laughs> and also so much that. more. <laughs> Which is very cool. I'm, I'm sure that the, the nature of self-taping has really opened up possibilities for actors who maybe don't live in the big cities like LA and New York uh, and now getting the chance to audition for some bigger roles. Do you think moving forward this expansion will continue? I hope so. I, I do. I think that people are so much more open to it. Like I said, even myself, who was so opposed to self-tapes for a long time. Uh, I think obviously now even directors and studios are knowing, you know, because in a uh, television, like in a studio situation, you need, everyone has to be approved, you know, by executives. And there was a time when I would send an audition tape that was made in my office with a director. And if there was a flub or something in it and the director said, oh, I'm fine with that, just keep going. But then I would send it up to be approved by a studio and or network. Uh, and they'd say, oh, do you have a better take? Or they'd want to see something that I didn't have. Now they know sometimes people are, you know, they have to be a little more forgiving and uh, and have to 
maybe see a couple of different takes. And even if they don't see exactly what they wanted, be able to see that someone is directable and can do things in different ways. And uh, I think they're a lot more forgiving perhaps in the approval process than you know, they might have been at one time or another. Yeah, that's true. And I think like, it's nice to get away from the notion of like, you have to live in Hollywood to make it, or, you know, it's, it's just becoming a little more flexible with being able to live in some of the smaller cities and still have a great career as an actor. Sure. Well, and hopefully travel will open up a little bit more. You know, we've been, I do a series in Dallas right now for the Freeform Network uh, called Cruel Summer. And, you know, the Originally, we're going to bring a lot of people in potentially from Los Angeles or more recognizable faces. And then when COVID hit and we started up again, you know, there's more and more roles that they wanted to cast locally. They said, can we find this role in Texas or we should look in Texas so that we don't have to travel people in. And uh, and then there was one character, an actor that works between here and L.A. who was willing to drive in and not get on a plane and uh, ended up casting him in a recurring role. So anytime he would go home to L.A., it was like, OK, you got to be back, you know, so get back <laughs> in that car. And uh, so it's definitely the the drive is, you know, brutal. But uh, yeah, uh, I've done it. <laughs> exactly. I'm actually going to do it next weekend. My husband's working in L.A. So, oh, yeah. I'll go yeah. But since my work is from anywhere, mm-hmm. I can do it from you know the city where he is yeah that's great works both ways exactly (laughs) so great what projects are you currently working on so I'm doing this uh, the series for Freeform like I said uh, Cruel Summer I am doing an independent film uh, that's called right now it's called Zombie Alien Attack it's kind of a uh, I think the director, writer, director is thinking Goonies like um, sort of wow. a film, uh, but also a family film. And uh, like I said, we're doing a lot of commercial projects. I have um, other things potentially in the works. So we're just, you know, waiting to find out, you know, I'm fortunate that while Robert Rodriguez is busy right now on the Mandalorian, he's, you know, still based here and has projects that he will bring back to Texas. So I, you know, I plan to stay put and keep working on what comes my way. Perfect. It's good to to see that productions are still moving forward. Absolutely. Very exciting. <laughs> um, who would play you in the Beth Sepko Lindsay <laughs> biopic? Would it be a comedy or a drama? Oh, it would have to be a comedy. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there would be drama in it, but I, my comedy comes from tragedy, right? So, yeah, yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's funny. I've been compared to when I was younger, people would say Leah Thompson, mm-hmm. um, which is funny that she's actually directing on the series that my husband's working on. But I've also been compared to Drew Barrymore. So okay. I am, yeah, I see that. You know? yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, I years ago when her mother was more of an active manager, like she would call me and she'd say, Oh my God, you sound just like Drew. I'm like, well, I'm not <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> yes, I know. With it, all of the stuff with Drew, Drew's mother. Yes. Whole That's another podcast. Um, you became a WIFT member after we reached out to you about being a guest on our podcast. What made you want to join WIFT? Well, obviously, I love supporting women in film. And, you know, years ago, I was a part of, we didn't really have an active, like, women in film chapter here. We had a Real Women was a group that was started here in Austin that is now um, defunct. And uh, we're really sad to let that go. And so I'm excited about having more chapters of different organizations that are female driven and supporting and, and really just inclusive, you know, of everybody. But uh, and obviously the mentorship uh, is something that I think means a lot. And I like to pay it forward and help the community. 
That's wonderful. Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Thank you. Yeah. to be here. Have you seen a rise in the amount of actors moving? Because I know we've had like such a big influx of people moving from Los Angeles and New York and blah, 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 bigger cities. Um, has, have you seen a, a, like a noticeable rise in, the, in new actors popping up in, in Austin? Um, you know, actually, it has been interesting. We've had some name actors that probably don't want me to say their names that have moved to Austin <laughs> through the pandemic. And uh, I think I think and, I know who they are. <laughs> yeah, there's a few, and uh, and then some. There were some that I had worked with on series before, um, an actress that reached out and just wanted to chat before she committed to moving here and uh, about what the possibilities were. Obviously, you want to love where you live, so yes. that's the thing. And because people are so transient anyway in this industry, you know, you want to have a great home to come back to uh, if you do go on location. So uh, I definitely have seen people move here, but, you know, we've often seen people leave this market, you know, over the years and the 20 something years I've been doing this, I would see people maybe graduate from high school or graduate from college and like leave and then maybe come back or people getting to, regardless of their age, getting to a certain point where they have a certain number of credits on their resume, they become sort of the big fish in this small pond and then they move to another market. Um, obviously when Louisiana got really big, a lot of people just sort of moved next door uh, into Louisiana. I kept trying to drive back. That's a long drive also. Awesome. Uh, it takes yes. a while to get to <laughs> Texas. And, you know, then people going to Georgia, crew people as well, and New Mexico. So there's always been, you know, over years, there's been an exodus. So it's actually exciting to see people come here in the pandemic. And even just people who came home to be with family and then sort of rediscovered the industry in this market and have stuck around. And, uh, and I hope they still do. I hope so too. It's it, it's an exciting time. I feel like there's so much growth and potential happening right now in, Absolutely. in Austin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what has been your favorite project to cast? Oh gosh, it's really hard not to say Friday Night Lights because that was such a great. It was it was my first TV series, first of all, and I learned so much. And I had casting directors who were my peers and colleagues saying, are you ready? Got to get ready. You know, series move fast. And uh, I was very fortunate to have the showrunner, Jeffrey Reiner, and uh, the line producer, Nan Bernstein, who were very supportive and very happy to answer any questions and anytime. And obviously the casting directors in LA, uh, Linda Lowy and John Brace were also very helpful and happy to discover new talent with me and to, they were open to casting Texas people. And there were times that I would read a script and say, Oh, I don't know if I have this role here. And they'd say, well, we're open to new people. Like, you know, let's open it up. Let's see who's in the performing arts schools and see if we can find someone brand new and discover them. And uh, and we did do a lot of that. It's so great to, to just be a part of it. And obviously the careers that have come out of it. It's funny, Jesse Plemons was someone years ago when I was a baby casting director, or even a, a new agent. I had seen a headshot of him when he was probably like eight or 10 years old. Like in my mind, he's wearing like a Western gingham shirt, like sitting on a bale of hay. Like it was, <laughs> it was this tiny little talent agency in San Saba or based out of San Saba. And um, he had already moved on to LA by the time we were casting the pilot of Friday Night Lights. And Linda had said one day, oh, we found this guy we think is great for Landry. His name is Jesse Plemons. And I was like, Yes, like I'm not looking anymore, like he would be fantastic. And so, of course, you know, he's gone on to such a huge career and, uh, and all of the usual suspects. 
and even just the locals like Bradley Lind was someone who who played Buddy Garrity who was an actor that I certainly didn't discover he'd been acting many years before I got into the business but more people got to see him from that and he went on to do a lot more things as well and continues to so that was career changing for me like at the very last rap party you know I went up to Pete Berg and Sarah Aubrey and uh said, you guys have really changed my life. Like, this is really great, and, but, you know, bittersweet, but uh, I changed my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. Great show. <laughs> yeah, really show. and there's been so many great shows since then, you know, and I've, I've been really fortunate to continue to work here at home. And, uh, and I hope that, you know, we go back to having more and more locally. Very good. What do you have any advice for new actors from the, that have moved to Austin that are trying to get involved in the industry? Like how can they kind of get their feet wet? It's a hard question right now. You know, um, I always tell people to, if you're not getting called in for, you know, film and television right now, like, you know, do some theater, do something right. to keep, you know, exercising those muscles to keep from getting rusty. You know, anytime a new series is starting up again, or like another season of a series, whenever we would start Queen of the South again, I would say, okay, guys, get ready. You know, if you're a little rusty, let's get back to the gym kind of a thing. You know, even if it's taking a workshop just to kind of get back into it. I know a lot of people try and not work with an agent at first or something or decide if they need an agent. And um, I just tell everyone, yes, you want to have a local agent. Even if you move from another market and you come here and you say, well, I want to be in Texas and Georgia. And can I just, you know, work from the people store in Georgia or do I need a Texas agent? And I tell people like, yes, you need a Texas agent. You need someone who's pushing you on the ground here. The film that I'm casting, you know, I want to see who's all around in Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and Austin and um, Corpus or because there's an agency there that's really great. You know, I send out the breakdown already just in Texas to some 30 agencies. And so if each agency sends me, you know, 30 people per role and I have 10 roles and then I have 30 agents sending me, I'm just weeding through so many submissions, which I will do. But if I extend it outside of Texas, then it's, it becomes overwhelming and hard to do. So I do tell people you do want a Texas agency. Yeah, that's actually really great advice because sometimes it, it it is like, uh, for me, I have an agent here. I have an agent in Atlanta. I have an agent in LA. I'm like, is that actually like helping me? But it's good to know that it actually is. I think so. Absolutely. It's funny. The, the actress that I met with that I mentioned earlier, who was thinking about moving here is with a huge agency like Gersh or something. She has a major agency and she says, do I really need to get a Texas agent? And I said, well, yes, my breakdowns aren't going to Gersh. Um, and they may not even want to deal with something that's in Texas because they don't have a lot of actors willing to go there. Um, or, you know, what most of my projects also have a casting director in LA. Sometimes if it's a film, there's someone in LA and in New York. And so there's no reason to send people to the Texas casting submissions. So uh, you definitely need to have a Texas agent. And I don't look down on anyone that has, you know, four different agents. I just think that they want to work and they're aggressive yeah. and they're, they must have a good car and they're willing to jump in the car and drive <laughs> or they know someone who works for an airline and they can get there easy. Yes, exactly. They're willing to work and they're willing to to put in the effort to get there and, and make themselves local talent. Where do you see your career in the next 10 years? That's such an interesting question. You know, I always, you always worry that the industry is not going to come back to your state, you know, as location casting directors do anyway. 
my family is here. I was born in Austin. I don't necessarily see myself moving away. Um, although my husband has for the last, I don't even know how many years been working either in New York or LA. He doesn't work in Texas very often at all. So he, wow. he knew all along, I would never move to New York. Um, I am a Texas girl. I would rather it be 104 than even like 60 or 70. So <laughs> I'm not moving to the cold weather market. Uh, he's in LA right now and uh, was sitting somewhere outside, you know, while I'm quarantined, stuck in the house and people can eat outside more easily there and far away from each other. And he was like, when are you coming? When are you going to come out here? And when are you going to come out here? You know, I think that as long as I have a place to visit and go stay for a little bit, I will come back home and work from home. And, uh, you know, right now it's, it's definitely uh, where I want to be. So I, I keep thinking I'm going to keep doing this. If the industry were to go away, I would find another way to stay in the industry. You know, I like to help actors work on their craft and to pursue their dreams. Really, for me, that's the most rewarding. When I see someone, I have a daughter now who's starting to notice some of the actors, the younger actors that she's been seeing. And uh, like Jordan Elsass, who we watched on Little Fires Everywhere, and now he's on the Superman, what is it, Lois and Clark, you know, to see kids that I've known for a long time or like Madison Burge, who I think goes by Dora Madison now. She was one of the ones in Friday Night Lights. I've known her since she was a little kid or Glenn Powell, who we cast in, you know, Spy Kids and all these things. And he's in the new Top Gun movie. Like for me, that's the most exciting to see these people that I've seen grown up in the industry and uh, doing really great. I want to just keep doing that for more people. Yeah, it must be so, feel so rewarding to to see their success and, and know that you played a part in, in that. Um, I have an extras question for you. Do you okay. cast children or animals? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> kind of a weird question, but I think I'm, it's interesting. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, most of the time there are animal wranglers who cast animals. Yeah. Uh, so, but there are times in the world of extras where they'll say, okay, we want someone who's jogging, you know, with their dog or mm -hmm. someone pushing a stroller and has a dog on a leash. And there have been times when I've done extras casting on a project that, you know, we do tell, we had like an extensive form where it's like, tell us what car you drive, tell us what pets you have, you know, can they do any tricks? So we wanted pretty extensive uh, extras files on people. And I haven't done as much extras casting. I like to do it. Whenever I work with Robert Rodriguez, he likes to sort of paint with a broad stroke. Like he doesn't necessarily distinguish between, you know, an actor and an extra or a principal and a non-speaking role. Uh, and there's so many times that we'll audition people and he'll say, oh, I like this guy, you know, can he play this role? And I'll say, well, that doesn't have any lines. <laughs> oh, so, and I'm like, well, we'll have to pay him on a SAG contract or maybe I can get him to do it for cheaper. And he's like, well, I'll feature him. I'm like, yeah, but you know, he's got an agent that's going to have a lot of questions about that. But so on his shows, especially, I usually do everything uh, locally and work with Mary Vernue, uh, who's been his longtime casting director in LA. For me, I, you know, that's when we know what we're looking for. And we post that kind of thing on our Facebook page and say, okay, this is when we're shooting. This is what we're looking for and update us with all of your info. Very cool. How can our listeners follow your career or, or get in contact with you? Are you on social media or how would you I'm prefer? not as active. I've been pretty private. It's one of those things that every new year I say, okay, this year I'm going to get more active. Um, <laughs> but I do like to follow people and see what's going on. And so much, obviously, even 
in the independent film world, um, when you're casting people or even in commercials, you know, social media is so important to those who are marketing films and marketing products that, you know, we are often, I'm always having my assistants, you know, look at this person's Instagram or look at this person, you know, what are they doing on TikTok and stuff? So for me right now, it's just, I still have everyone either go to, we have a Facebook page and uh, that's Best Up Co-Casting or Third Coast Extras. But anyone that needs to tell me if there's an actor who's actively working in this market and wants to say, hey, Beth, I'm on an episode of Better Call Saul, please watch it. You know, I have them email info at bethsepcocasting.com. So I-N-F-O at B-E-T-H-S-E-P-K-O-C-A-S-T-I-N-G.com. Thanks again for joining us, Beth. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. movie reviews. All right, listeners, I have a very heartbreaking yet powerful movie to talk to you about in this episode. The movie is called MFA. It came out in 2017, was also in South by Southwest in 2017, and now you can see the movie on Amazon Prime. Before I continue talking about the movie, I do want to say two things. One, There is sexual assault and nudity mentioned in this review, so if you are uncomfortable with that, please feel free to skip ahead to the member spotlight. I will not be offended, I promise. Uh, The second thing is, if you do continue to listen to this movie review as well as watch the film, there are two rape scenes. One is between minutes 11 to 14, And the other one is between minutes 29 to 31. So proceed with caution. All right, let's get into the review. MFA is about an art student who taps into a rich source of creative inspiration after the accidental slaughter of her rapist. An unlikely vigilante emerges, or as I would like to call her, a justice for sexual assault survivors avenger, that's a mouthful, who sets out to avenge college girls whose attackers walk free. Starring Francesca Eastwood, she plays Noelle, and her performance in this movie was absolutely amazing. I'm always so curious, and I really want to talk to actors who portray these roles and they act in these scenes such as rape because they're not easy scenes. They have to do with a lot of stunt work and and using an intimacy coordinator, which that obviously isn't intimate. And I just, I'm so curious to how they take that and what they do to get into that role and what they do afterwards. Like, are you and your coworker good afterwards? Do you just like kind of stay away from each other? I just want to know. Also, Leah McKendrick, who plays Skye, wrote the script and Miss Leah McKendrick if you are listening you did an incredible job with this script you made the script so freaking realistic about what unfortunately happens to women all around the world your character Sky telling Noelle not to report her rape and that reporting is going to ruin the rest of her life was obviously so wrong but relatable as this happens to as we know 97% of women, which I didn't even know that until a month ago. That is absolutely horrifying to know that percentage. 
I was stressed out the entire time watching this film because a lot of the times in the movie, Noelle is not hiding her face. She's not wearing gloves. And as a true crime slash SVU stan, I was so nervous because fingerprints are everywhere. They now know what she looks like. And I'm like, she's going to get caught the whole time. I was so scared. But another thing, the director, Natalia Lietschi, did not stray away from censoring the audience with nudity, which I really liked because the movie already is very brutal with its subject and hiding body parts would just make it less raw, if you know what I mean. Like you want your audience to know that this does happen to 97% of women and it's uncomfortable and it should make you uncomfortable and it should make you angry because it's real. You don't want to leave the theater or after finishing it off of Amazon Prime and be like, okay, on with my day. I'm going to go to the grocery store and do all this stuff. You're like, wow. Even I, after watching that, was just kind of like, that was a lot. That was uncomfy. And now I'm angry and I don't know what to do now. And I want to eat everything in my kitchen because I'm so mad like that kind of feeling I don't I also this is like a little thing I don't know why everything that I've watched has kind of like a surprise or a twist in it I don't think I find them they find me and this is definitely a movie with a surprise slash twist towards the end Alrighty, that is my spiel on the movie MFA that came out in 2017. If you want to watch the film yourself, you can find it on Amazon Prime. And if you want to talk to me about films and kind of chat or give me recommendations and stuff like that, you can find me on Instagram at S underscore heart, H-E-A-R-T, 1997. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Member Spotlight. On today's WIFT Member Spotlight, we have Kirtana Banskoda, who's a woman of many talents as a film producer and writer among many other roles, including co-founder of the Nepal America International Film Festival and the very new Austin South Asian Film Festival. Welcome, Kirtana. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. First, tell us a bit about yourself and how you became so multifaceted in the world of film. I think before I answer who I am, the multifacetedness is the fact that as an independent producer, filmmaker, it's just pure out of need and necessity. Um, mm. When you really look at it, you know, I to save a couple of dollars here to make sure that the film gets every benefit, um, you kind of mm. want to do everything and you have to learn how to do everything. So I think mm -hmm. that just kind of came out of need. Mm -hmm. um, and also lucky enough, that I was very fortunate enough to have gone to... Uh, film school, shout out to Temple University. So you kind of get that four years of just overall education from studies mm -hmm. to making. And I had some great professors. So I think that really helped a lot. Mm -hmm. And going back to your question of who I am, I'm a first generation uh, Nepali American filmmaker, uh, film festival founder. My goal always or my need of making films is just basically about trying to bridge the gap between stories uh, because there's so many stories in this world and 
Mm -hmm. When you watch various platforms these days, you see a lot of similar stories and the kind of some of them have been done and redone, but there are certain parts of this world that have never been told or never been heard. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's where I thrive in terms of like getting those stories, talking about very uncomfortable subject lines and matters and just making people as uncomfortably comfortable as possible. Yes, I love that uncomfortably comfortable. I think that's a very necessary place where we all have to be <laughs> to learn, right? To learn about oh, yes. all of the different people in the world. So I love I love what you're doing. Um, what are you working on now? I just released a film called Car Ao, which is Come Home in English. It's a Nepali film. It's a short when I say release, it's gone into the film festival circuit. Mm. Um, it's about a uh, about a mother, a single mom who's in Nepal who calls out to her son during the COVID times to come home, and he's in the U.S. going to school here. And you know, the, because of the lockdown, there's a back and forth, and what happens happens. But um, it's just like this need, and this because this entire year, I think it's so relatable because so many family members were not able to be with each other mm-hmm. um, and what's really difficult is especially when you're a 12-hour difference between your parents and you and then mm-hmm. just like the idea of having to not just take one flight down but you're having to take four or five different kind of flights to just get home um, so just kind of this conversation that happens so that's one the other one that is in development is called good goody the tickle uh, which mm-hmm. is written by a, a award-winning filmmaker. His name's mm-hmm. Abhi Rupasu, and he's in India, and he's done a couple of really, really good films that made it pretty big in the film festival, like uh, Neil and Lolly. And um, this film is about two women who survive, who try to survive the riots. And in 2002, there was a major riot in India. Um, it mm-hmm. was a religious riot. Mm-hmm. However, we never talk about, you know, we always talk about the death toll and the the religious toll or the just communal toll that it takes. We never talk mm-hmm. about the number of rapes that happens mm-hmm. or the number of sexual assault that happens to mm-hmm. women that time. And that is never addressed and that is never, there's no follow up to it. Mm-hmm. So you don't really have, you know, uh, someone to just go and talk to any kind of therapy session. Mm-hmm. So the story is based on two accounts about two women who not only try to survive the riots outside their home where there's massive slaughter happening, but also what happens when they do try to survive and there's Mm -hmm. like men all around them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So right now that's in the fundraising moment. So, you know, we're, we keep pushing our date further and further because the COVID crisis in India is growing and we are planning to film in India. So it keeps, Mm -hmm. you know, getting bigger and bigger by the day. We're just hoping Mm -hmm. that things die down a little bit and then, we can go, but um, of course, fundraising is a big aspect of making it happen this year. Right. Uh, so that's where I'm at right now, the two wow. main films. <laughs> Super powerful. So what drew you to WIFT and what do you hope to get out of being a member? WIFT is a community of supporters for each other. There's so much to learn. I mean, I'm a part of the mentorship program now. Oh, great. Um, there's there's always teaching back and forth. There's lear- there's always so much to learn from anyone, mm-hmm. but especially if you're someone with similar interests and similar background. And I'm pretty sure all of us women have faced the kind of, okay, if there's funds available from one to the other, or there's a position available from one versus the other, 
we've faced some kind of gender inequality in mm-hmm. the timeline of anywhere in this any time and anywhere. So the fact that you know this is such an amazing organization. I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of it? Mm-hmm. As a woman filmmaker who's budding, who's really needs this kind of like as many people to just help me grow. I love that. And the fact that by learning, I'm also able to be a part of someone else's life and just kind of mm-hmm. help them grow. I think that's such a beautiful journey to kind of take forth. So I think that's one of the main reasons I joined WIFT is like to be a part of this big overall growing journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm so glad to hear you're part of the mentorship program. That's something very new that, you know, the WIFT programming is offering now. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's super important. Are you enjoying your experience so far? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we haven't really had because it just started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been just trying to figure out the perfect timeline and both a mentor and a mentee. Oh, wow. um, so it's been like really interesting to just kind of go back and forth. And, you know, it's like I'm already very excited to meet both my mentor and mentee. We've been communicating quite a bit. So we'll see. All our emails just end with yay or eek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can't wait. To see. Yeah. So it's excited. Been, oh, oh yeah. I love that. Lots of good energy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, everyone's there for kind of the same purpose. I mean, everyone has their, their, you know, different reasons, but I think the overall purpose is really connecting and learning. And with that kind of openness and vulnerability, I, I feel like there's just nothing but goodness that comes out of it, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. I agree. Being so multifaceted and having so many focuses within the film industry and, and co-founding two film festivals, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I think I definitely, I see a couple of things where I do see is the fact that I do want to make sure that, you know, these stories are told and heard Mm -hmm. and I'm a part of this journey because I think as a filmmaker, that's the first thing that got me attracted to the line of filmmaking was the storytelling. Everything has a journey from like just a black screen, but there's sound going. Um, There's like a podcast, right? Like there's sound and there's a storytelling art to it mm-hmm. I definitely want to be a part of this big storytelling journey globally because mm. I think this time of the year especially last year has proven a lot of people are hungry for new information and new stories and new just new out there mm-hmm. and they're also open because I think a lot of us were thinking that oh yeah well maybe we're just so used to the big screen and the silver screen and all we want all these stories that are going to repeat over and over again but now we know with all these new platforms that have come up, but that's not the case. People mm-hmm. are hungry to learn about everywhere and anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one thing that I'm really looking to be a part of that journey. In 10 years time, something I'm really not looking forward to is having to struggle to, you know, just make a short film and like mm-hmm. go through the whole life of like fundraising is always an aspect. I know everyone struggles with it, mm-hmm. but just like having to lose sleep over just, you know, a couple of dollars. That's something I don't want to do. But beyond that, hopefully, you know, I'm, I can may put uh, Nepal in the map somewhere in the journey of film mm. as a first gen filmmaker, Nepali American filmmaker. That's one of my hopes is to be, you know, the the voice of a place that I call home and also bridge the gap between the two, because there's so many beautiful stories in such a beautiful country. And it's all you always see is like just the mountains, but even there's like the plains and there's so many other stories within that. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to be a part of that aspect. So lots and lots of things. And now I'm just thinking, oh my God, one more, one more. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of ground to cover, but it sounds like you've got a vision and I'm so excited to see, you know, what comes of it. Cause it, it, it sounds like there's so much goodness that's, 
you know, coming from what you've created so far? That's been the goal is just to be very honest and loyal and true to the people's stories. As mm -hmm. many that will attest is like indie filmmakers don't really do it for the sake of, you know, making it big. Mm -hmm. um, it's more about, oh, we really like this. Let's just do it. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I'll just mortgage my house and we'll just make this film kind of sort of thing. And just, <laughs> we've all kind of thought about it, done it. Um, mm -hmm. So I just hope that, you know, it becomes more of a, in 10 years, I think there's more of a platform for even independent filmmakers and producers where it's just a little easier mm -hmm. um, on the finance side and the, well, and the distribution side than it is. And you can just kind of focus on the craft itself. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, becoming very important. I think that you can, we're seeing a lot of change in 2020, 2021 right now, mm -hmm. but hopefully that continues. And you oh, know, yes. that's, that's just by hope. Oh, yes. Hopefully. How can people find your work or get in touch with you? Can they follow you on social media, website? Oh, yes. I mean, I think every social media, if you just even go in, just like Google K-I-R-T-A-N-A, B-A-N-S-K-O-T-A, you'll find a whole list of all my social media platforms. Uh, but in terms of finding my work, if you go to our website, which is B-A-N-S-K-O-T-A.com, pretty easy. It's just like my last name. Um, and on social media, it's just Banskota Productions. It's B-A-N-S-K-O-T-A Productions. And you'll find me on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, all the fun stuff. So yeah, pretty, pretty available and accessible. <laughs> awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much for sharing so much about yourself today. We're so happy to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here and I'm so excited for you guys to just grow as well. This is such a great platform and I can't wait to see what all you bring next. Thanks. Becoming a member of WIFT Austin gives you access to a wide network of people just like Kirtana, discounts on events and services, and plenty of chances to advocate for more opportunities for female identifying folks in the industry. If you're interested in learning more about how to become a member, please visit wiftaustin.com slash memberships. Entertainment News. This is Kelly Coffey bringing you some entertainment news. The Screen Actors Guild Union, or SAG, has introduced the first industry-wide accreditation program for intimacy coordinating training. The training and accreditation program will help safely expand the number of experienced professionals by vetting candidates for the role of intimacy coordinators. Intimacy coordinators are professionals who help performers, directors, producers, and crew members navigate nudity and sex scenes on films by making sure everyone feels safe and protected. Two years ago, SAG created the Code of Conduct on Sexual Harassment, which provides guidelines on how SAG will combat the culture of harassment, including the banning of auditions in hotel rooms and residences. The union also implemented a registry of the Safe Place platform that allows members to report instances of harassment. Kimmy Howell's dark comedy Sugar found itself in a four-way streaming network bidding war, with the network Hulu ultimately winning out for distribution rights. Written and produced by Lee, Sugar is a dark comedy about a sugar baby ring at an elite college. The show, which is in its early development and will be executive produced by Sarah Condon and Michael Schraft, is based after Lee's previous short film, also called Sugar. Lee is also currently a writer for The Lock and Key and the upcoming Amazon show, The Expatriates. Her featured Nightshade is in pre-production. And finally, Actress and comedian Tig Notaro is set to release the first ever fully animated comedy stand-up special. 
Network powerhouse HBO will debut the hour-long comedy special this summer as a follow-up to her 2015 Emmy-nominated stand-up special, Boyish Girl Interrupted. Ellen DeGeneres, who previously produced Nataro's 2018 Netflix special, Tig Nataro, Happy to Be Here, will also executive produce this new animated project. Nataro, who co-created and starred in One Mississippi, a semi-autobiographical comedy on Amazon, and she currently appears in Star Trek Discovery. And that's it for entertainment news. Until next time. This episode of the WIFT Austin podcast was produced by Kelly Coffey and Chantel James. Our editors are Shannon Steffen and Valerie Torres. Summer Hart is our movie review critic. You can find us on the web at WIFTAustin.com and on social media at WIFT Austin. Thanks for listening, everybody.